This is the Body and X, and welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Now, one of the things that I teach in my classes and my workshops is the art and the craft of editing. And I'm not talking about bringing your images into Photoshop and applying a bunch of curves and levels adjustments. I'm talking about taking a body of work and trying to make sense of it, trying to make a collection of images either for a portfolio or for an essay or for a slideshow and being able to take all those hundreds if not thousands of images and winnow them down into a manageable number of photographs. And it's one of the skills as a photographer that's not often talked about or, or much less taught in a lot of workshops and classes, but it's something that's incredibly important. And I've been thinking about it lately for a variety of reasons, and which is why I wanted to have today's guest, Emilio Banuelos, on the show. Uh, for those of you who have been following the show for a while, uh, you're familiar with Emilio. Uh, I've had him on the show once before, as well as having taught a workshop with him up in San Francisco and Los Angeles called Walking in the Company of Strangers. But in this conversation, we really wanted to talk about the, the challenges of creating a body of work. We've talked about personal projects uh, a lot uh, on this show, but I thought this would be a real good chance to sort of delve deeply into some of the ideas and challenges that are involved in taking all these images and putting them together into a collection that are not only meaningful for the photographer who created them, but also for the people who have the opportunity to view it. So I hope you take away a lot of value from this interview with my friend, Emilio Banuelos. This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by Adobe Photoshop Lightroom. Perfect your photography from shoot to finish with Adobe Photoshop Lightroom 4 software. One of the obvious strengths of Adobe Lightroom 4 is that it provides photographers a workflow that just makes sense. From the moment you import your images into your computer, to when you're editing them, to when you're outputting them to a print or, or even a book or a slideshow, all of the tools that you need to be able to gather your images, collect them, and to output them in a variety of different ways are found in this one great software. Our friends at Adobe have made it possible for listeners of the show to receive a $30 discount on the full version of Adobe Lightroom 4. Through Saturday, November 24th through November 28th, you can save $30 on the full version of Lightroom and purchase it for just $119. And the way you can get this savings is by using the promo code BF2012. And you can do that by either visiting the website at Adobe at adobe.com directly or clicking on the link on the Candid Frame website. There's no better time to find out how Adobe Lightroom 4 can help take your photography to the next level. We also have the support of Squarespace. So here's the thing. Our friends at Squarespace have this great product. It's a do-it-yourself website builder that helps you to make a website or blog in just a few minutes. Squarespace handles all the hosting, gives you a free domain name, and has 24-hour customer support. Everything on the platform is drag-and-drop, so it's incredibly easy to use. For example, you can drag pictures straight from your desktop and create custom layouts with multiple columns and text that wraps perfectly around your images and videos. The templates are clean and simple. It puts the focus 
where it should be on your photography. Additionally, you can switch to a different template at any time. One more thing that's really special about Squarespace is that your images will look great on any device because the website you create will scale automatically to fit perfectly on an iPad, an iPhone, computer, or any other device. To me, that's indispensable. I'm no coder, so knowing that my website is going to look good on any device is absolutely invaluable. Import content from your blogs and push your content back out to your social networks. Go to squarespace.com forward slash candid frame to start a free trial, no credit card required. When you're ready to purchase, click enter an offer code below the pricing at checkout and enter the offer code candid frame 11 to get a 10% discount. That's squarespace.com forward slash candid frame offer code candid frame 11. One word, candid frame 11. Well, Emilio, welcome back to the Candid Frame. Thank you, buddy. Next, it's good to be here. Yeah, it's it's it's. Every time I sit down and talk to you, I realize, man, it's been too long. It's been a long time. It's yeah. it's quick. Yeah, it goes away. It's too quick, too quick. But you know, I received a, a book that you had uh, sent me of uh, some of your images, and I thought it would be a really good opportunity to talk about projects. I've, I've talked about personal projects probably for as long as I've had this show, uh, but. I thought it'd be really sort of a good idea to talk with someone who knows whose whose work primarily revolves around projects and not just the individual image and maybe provide some insight into to those who are sort of interested in doing more of that as opposed to just going out and making the singular the singular image. So talk about that whole idea. Why why the photo story? Why a project? Why why not just go out and just make individual pictures? Why is that important to who you are as a photographer? Um, you know, ever since I've started making photographs, I've had that problem where um, where I, I feel like everything I do has to be some kind of project. Uh, and and it, I call it a problem because sometimes I get some single images that I think are strong, but they don't fit in the rest of the work and I just can't use them. Um, but for me, working on the project, it's uh, I think that what we do with the camera is kind of a discovery and exploration, a way for me to learn a lot of about the world or about people and the way we interact. And um, going out to make one photograph, I have a friend named uh, named Joe who calls them like one-liners. And uh, you can get that visual pun, you can get a, something you know visually interesting, but there's no context around it. There's nothing for it to grow into or grow from. And I like the idea of working in a series of work because it kind of gives me an idea to develop I mean, it gives me a, an opportunity to develop an idea, to an explore an idea, uh, and hopefully lead someone else along that, that path of exploration and, and, and hopefully gaining something when they leave. So how do you decide on what you're going to photograph? Because, you know, there, there's so many things that are out there. How do you decide not just what you're going to photograph, but what sort of ideas and, and themes you're going to explore? Because I think that's sort of what holds a lot of your bodies of work together is not so much that it's a collection of photographs of just the same subject matter, but that, that it's more about it's the concept behind it. Um, I think a lot of that comes from shooting every day. I carry my camera with me every single day and I'm making photographs of anything that I react to or anything that I think is interesting or curious or anything that made me pause for a second. 
um, I just keep making these photographs. And because everything filters through me and because every day I'm thinking about photography or I'm thinking about how people uh, get along or I'm thinking about every day I'm thinking and I'm thinking through my camera. Later, when I come into my darkroom and I start making the contact sheets and doing the, the edits, um, the edits start to tell me what I've been interested in. And, uh, and then when I start to arrange them, put them into a sequence and start to see which photographs really talk to me over time, um, I get to tell somebody else what I've been interested in. But the themes, I think, are, are there with us throughout our entire lives. And if we give them an opportunity to work themselves out through our cameras because we're doing it every single day. Um, I think, you know, putting that extra part, that extra work into sitting down and editing them and seeing what the world has been telling you uh, gives you an opportunity to tell the world what you think is important. But it comes from shooting every single day, from the books that I read, the music I listen to, and the people I hang out with, um, and then doing that, that hard part of sitting down to edit and, and putting them in the right sequence. There's a, there's a big leap i think that that sometimes has to be made between looking at the pictures whether it's on a contact sheet or whether you're looking at them on your computer and going from well i like this picture i don't like this picture and then going that and then going to that point where these selects these these images make sense together or 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 or, or better yet understanding that they work together and I sometimes think that that's one of the harder things to, to learn. I mean, I struggle with that sometimes. It's like I got all this work and then I sit there and if I have to put the net of 10 or 12 images, sometimes it's a real challenge to try to make sense from that, from that perspective. So how do, you, how do you end up doing it? Because especially if you're shooting as, as many f- photographs as you are. I guess I'm going for a mood or a feeling in the photographs and not so much the beginning, middle, end all the time anymore. Um, I'm going for photographs. I, I start to make um, I make my contact sheets. I make some small prints. I carry the small prints around me in my notebook or I paste them all over my wall. And, and I live with these photographs long enough to see you know who needs to be with, with who else. And I start to pull uh, this portrait next to this portrait because they feel alike. Um, or they have the same kind of mood, um, but it's it's more of a uh, I'm taking poetic license now with the stories I'm, I'm putting together. They don't have to be so beginning, middle, end. They don't have to be so um, uh, focused on, on one process or one one story or one group. I'm pulling stories from all over the world or from everywhere I am and uh, trying to make sense in my own brains so that <laughs> hopefully I can create some questions in everybody else's brains. Um, I'm not sure if that explains it. I guess, I guess after a while of doing it, you kind of start to feel your photographs and the photographs start to speak to you and you can see your mood come through in your images and you have to know when uh, the photographs rise to that level uh, and, and be able to let go of the ones that don't. Yeah, maybe, maybe it will be helpful if you talk about the, the collection of images that you call pomp and circumstance. Um, Tell us about the whole process in terms of the initial images and how it took shape and how you ended up getting to the point where you felt like you had a a body of work that was effective. Okay. Uh, Pomp and Circumstance is a look at the rituals we perform in life to find a little bit of happiness. Pomp is uh, all the stuff we dress up for, everything that we, we do to mark an important day or an important person. Uh, and Circumstance is life uh, is facts, life as it happens to and around us. 
And really, that's the overlying theme of all my work. Um, but in this quality of work, it's a concentration, a, a look at Mexico, because I spent um, just last year, I've, I've only been back a year now, I spent three years living in a small village in Mexico uh, where I had time to print work, read, and uh, look at my work and think about it. And uh, also, I had time to soak in Mexico. So for three years, I, I lived in a small village, uh, and I really got to know Mexico a different way than, than, than visiting it on, as a tourist. So this collection of work is uh, work from 2007 all the way to 2011. It mixes work from public events, um, you know, like uh, Lucha Libre matches or religious rituals with work from the street, people shopping and walking down the street. And this is one of those projects that has been living with me for years and years. The, some of the photographs that I think are still strong have been strong since 2007, and they've been living on my walls since 2007. But because I work in a series, I've never had the rest of the work to flesh out this series. So I just let it sit and sit and sit. And hopefully in, in a few years when, it's, uh, when I have more and more work built up, I still find it strong and it can fit into this series of work that I'm trying to communicate with. The challenge when you're working with series is to have the patience to sit on this work that you think is great. Because especially now with the digital age, we want to throw everything on, online. As soon as we get it, we want to tell everybody we got it so that they can think that, uh, that it's cool and hit like, like, like on the Facebook. Mm -hmm. So I think the challenge is to, like, to make photographs that you think you can live with and live with them long enough so that, so that uh, when you do bring them to life, they can stay alive longer. You know, they, they have a longer shelf life than just the likes on the Facebook. So I guess to answer your question, I'm having a hard time because I, I never I, I mostly just shoot all the time. I think as I process and edit, and when I present, I'm very harsh on the on the edit. I'm very harsh on myself, and I only put out you know every series of, of work on my websites between ten to twenty photographs. But behind every photograph, there's ten to twenty rolls of film. If I can live with the photographs long enough to keep to keep wanting to show them and I can build a body of work around them that makes sense for me, then I'll present it. And if not, they just stay in my binders, and, and they just stay in my binders. Yeah, one of the things you showed me the last time we got together was that notebook where you're constantly writing. And how much of a role does that play, that, that writing that you do in that, in that moleskin, um, in terms of what you're, you're shooting and your assessment of what you're shooting? I think it does. It helps a lot. I spend a lot of time by myself. I'm, you know, I'm taking the train to the city and back, or I'm walking around making photographs. Um, sometimes I write down observations I see about people interacting with each other. Sometimes it's just a, a grocery list or a laundry list of things that I have to do and take care of. But uh, I just started a new book now that has the final edit of the Pomp and Circumstance book in it. It just helps me see the photographs over and over, and I can play with the sequence. And again, I can live with my photographs as I'm on the bus, as I'm on the train. And I find that sometimes I'll have photographs in here that just after a while, they, they just don't have any questions for me anymore. And I have to pull them out of the book and, and put them away. So they don't, I, I kind of want to see the photographs that are, that are working for me. This is a way to just carry them around as a, as a notebook, as a sketch pad for, you know, for artists, artists who draw carry sketch pads. I carry this notepad and I, and I glue photographs in there and write notes about it all the time. Sometimes I write about directly about the photographs, sometimes just about observations I see. But I think in the end, this all feeds into the way I'm working because 
if I can carry it around with me for a year and still find it interesting, then maybe someone will want to see the book when I'm done with it after, you know, after the likes on the Facebook. So when you, when you're doing that and you're in the midst of shooting and you're evaluating your images, does, does it end up changing the way you're shooting or what you're shooting? Or do you just kind of go out there and just sort of are in a, a certain zone and then you just sort of make judgments well after you've shot the images and you're editing them? Um, yeah, I think it's important to go out there and just react to the world, not think about anything, not look at the back of your monitor and just make photographs where you're reacting to the people that are around you and the emotions and the interactions between them. Uh, later on, uh, I when I come home and I process my film, that's my technician brain. I'm processing my film like a lab tech. And then I go to my editor role where I look at my role, my roles of film, evaluate them, and try to detach myself from the process of making them to the process of just showing them. Shooting is one part of your brain. Uh, processing is another. Editing is a, another part. I try to keep them all separate. When I'm out in the street shooting, uh, I try to get the editor out of my brain and just shoot, 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 react. And then when I'm editing, the other part of my brain can come in and start critiquing and tearing things apart. Mm -hmm. But while I'm shooting, I'm just shooting. And on the best days, I get in the zone and I can make photographs without remembering the time. It's awesome. Yeah. You have um, a project on your website called Circus Days which I think is a, a profile of a Mexican circus. I don't know if it's a if it's a single circus or a couple of them. Tell me about that one. Um, that's uh, three different circuses, one in California, one in Chicago, and one in Mexico. Um, and what I like about those uh, those kinds of stories or, or the people that I met at, that, at those circuses is that um, the idea of tradition and how you know, my family passes on the circus tradition to my kids, and, and it keeps going. This this ch this chain of uh, circus performers keeps going and going. And those came about as uh, days off when I was working at newspapers in Mexico and I was working at newspapers in Chicago. I saw a circus, and I just walk over and I make you know conversation, and I start making photographs, and I try to come back the next day and keep keep doing that as long as they let me, and as long as I have time. Um, and then later on, as I was looking at the photographs, I started to see that, you know, circuses in Chicago and circuses in Mexico, it's, it's the same lifestyle. So when I put together my edit, uh, I was able to mix both sets of photographs. You say that the sort of the lifestyle was the same, but what was sort of drawing you to them? I mean, there's, certain, there's a certain exoticness um, to, to it. I mean, it's a, and I think that visually it's, it's an obvious draw. But beyond that, what do you think were the sort of the ideas and the themes that, that you felt were really important for the body of work, especially for the edit that you made? I'm always interested in the idea of where we learn to be adults. And if you look through the photographs, there's a couple series where you have like a, a, an older sister and a younger sister, or you have uh, the knife-throwing man with pictures of his wife and his daughter who also perform in him, with him in this, uh, in this circus. Um, and those themes go throughout my work. If you look at some of the religious work, you'll see that there's a small child watching his dad crawl through the gravel to go praise his God. And you'll see in the gang work where there's a small child and an older gang member, and they both have the exact same haircut. So just that idea of how these cycles repeat, where we learn to be adults, is always interesting to me. Um, and it also helps me unite my work from, from everywhere. If I'm looking at those, those bigger universal themes... 
I can take a circus photograph and put it next to a gang photograph, put it next to a police photograph, because we still have those themes of children and adults. Um, so that that kind of stuff is always curious to me. And then, of course, it's super loaded. It's got elephants. <laughs> it's, got, it's got knives, and it's got pretty girls with pretty outfits. It's 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 ready. It seems like like rituals are just a really important part of what you like exploring, whether it's a, a circus, uh, whether it's a religious ceremony, um, even a, a parade. It seems like for a variety of different reasons, you're probably drawn to that. I mean, one of the reasons they kind of appeal to me is there's sort of a an access that you have to people under those kind of events that you normally wouldn't have which is always a, a, a sort of a piques my, my interest. But I think, as you just said, that there's something about those circumstances that really allow you to, to see how people relate to each other, connect to each other, especially sometimes when they're complete strangers, how, how even though they don't know each other, they can somehow connect under the umbrella of this event. It's, a, it's like a public communion. We, we come together as a group to feel that we're okay. Like, like uh, you know, if I'm Catholic and I can get together with 10,000 other Catholics and we all pray to the same Virgin Mary and they all have, we all know the same prayers, then I feel as a part of this group. For the 300 days of the year, I'm going to go back to my little room and sit by myself and be alone. But on this day, I come out and I have 10,000 strong. I think that's fascinating. Like the, the fact that we need to go out and 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 feel a part of the group and these rituals too i also find a lot of times are so unnecessary you know like uh, some things we do maybe don't have to happen but because we want to feel important because we want to tell everybody else that we're important we dress up we we light off fireworks we do whatever we have to do to kind of separate this day from yesterday i think that's really interesting uh, i also grew up catholic so a lot of the rituals from the Catholic Church kind of happened to me at a time when I was asking a lot of questions, like, why do we have to stand up? Why do we have to sit down? Why do we have to... All these little things that never really got answered to my satisfaction. And I grew up in a neighborhood where a lot of the guys that I was hanging out with ended up joining this group where in that group it was okay to go out and beat somebody up. So I've watched how, like, belonging to a group is important, and I've watched the rituals that we do in this group uh, to separate ourselves from the rest of the group, I think is important. But I've also seen how those rituals kind of unite societies and communities, and I think that's really interesting. Mm. So I think that those themes have always gone through my work. I'm always kind of watching how people click up. And, you know, you said about these public events. You're on this public show, so there is an access to the photographers. But within that, that, that span of public performance, there's always these little tiny minuscule moments of private interactions or private thoughts. And I think that's interesting where you, where you can see someone thinking something private, but they're on stage in a public event. I think that for, for me visually and, and just as a person, I'm, I'm always wondering what they're thinking or, or how they feel when they're standing up there in a bikini on a stage and, mm-hmm. and they have a hundred people watching them, you know? It's, it's kind of interesting. You talk a lot about how, Oftentimes you're 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 by yourself and you're sort of isolated. Do you sometimes feel like that that as a photographer that it allows you sort of an opportunity to feel connected to the group in a way that you wouldn't otherwise? Do you feel like it's satisfying that it's sort of satisfying you in terms of a personal level beyond what you're doing artistically? 
You know, I've never felt part of the groups. Even as a kid, I've never really felt like a joiner of groups. Um, so I've always felt like this, like this lone person who's watching these things. And that's probably why I make photographs. You know, and again, it might have something to do with the fact that my peer group at the time that they started their groups, they were a little bit more, uh, you know, violent and outside the norm, maybe. And so I stayed away from that stuff. Um, I think walking alone lets me be anonymous and walking alone makes, lets me be lost in the crowd and also lets me get lost in my head so that I can not think about or be concerned with who's with me. And I think that it, you know, doing what we do, I think alone is the way to do it. I think you have to be out there by yourself so you can just kind of listen to the street, listen to these people and give yourself an opportunity to either talk to them or to get close enough to them to observe them. So... <clears throat> I don't feel like part of the group, but I feel like I, like I can observe the group better when I'm by myself. Mm. Well, let's talk about uh, projects that don't work out, because I think a lot of people hear about projects that, you know, photographers have decided to do. They see them to completion and they see these amazing bodies of work. But I think a lot of photographers start off with a project and then it just either peters out or... Uh, more importantly, I'd like to talk more about those times when you look at the work and you just go, you know, something, this is not working out and I just need to drop it where I, you know, where, where it's at and move on to something else. You know, I, I just, uh, just this week I've been spending time with, a. I spent time in Missouri when I was living out in Missouri for a few years with um, a bunch of rodeo cowboys and I spent uh, maybe a couple of years and I made a lot of photographs and I, and I followed them around. So just recently I found the contact sheets and I thought, you know, maybe I should put something together with these contact sheets. And the more I look at them, the more I think, well, maybe I don't have enough photographs to actually put something together. And it hurts. Uh, but I, 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 when the project, when you start this project, and I tell this to my students all the time, you're getting to a point where you, you're trying to explore this world. So you should try to find something you're interested in enough to keep going back to and sometimes, you you know, you just don't. Sometimes you're interested the first session, the second session, and by the third session you realize that you're just not that into it, there's no access, or they're not into you being there, and you drop it. But I think all those projects lead into something else, and all the people that I talked to on this project could help me out with another project. And probably, if you're doing this consistently enough, you'll realize that the projects that you do get completed have a similar vein through them. So the, the more you get done, the easier it is to start your next project because you kind of understand what your sensibilities are and what your interest is in. So I think there is, you know, it's, you need to do these projects. Um, whether they come to fruition or not, then that's fine. Everything is practice and everything is, is experimentation and exploration. Mm. So when, you, when you're working with students and they're working on projects in, in your classes, you know, what are some of the common mistakes that you see people making when they're choosing, you know, when they're working on a project? Is, is it, does it start with what they're choosing to focus on or is it more of a process in terms of what they're shooting or not shooting? Um, I teach a class now that's called, in a, it's, an, it's a documentary class, it's an environmental portraiture class. And I think that with all my documentary classes, what I see is first that they think documentary is a style and uh, black and white, available light, sad subject. That makes documentary. Um, instead of an approach or even a way of life, um, you know, when documentary photographers are trying to make photographs, they have they start off with questions. 
and they use their camera to explore those questions, some of the beginning students already have the answers and they just they they start off with a shooting script and they figure that if if I put my camera on black and white and I have uh, no flash then I'm doing the documentary thing if I get these 12 shots then I'm done with this story so I spent five weeks just breaking that idea and getting them to a point where they're exploring with their camera where they take all their all they already know because they're already super smart and use that as a basis for what they're going to learn. And that's that's a big shift. Usually if I can get them to that point where where they realize that they know a lot but not everything and that they have to look for it with their camera, uh, the photographs start to improve uh, tenfold like overnight. But getting them past that, uh, that idea that photography is a style and that they can come in with a checklist, mm-hmm. those are the two big, biggest challenges. You know, your wife Elena is a is a is a photographer as well, and I'm wondering how her feedback influences how you look at the work. And I asked that because when I was in uh, participating in the Missouri Photographic Workshop, mm-hmm. um, and the editors had a chance to go through the images, they made choices that I never would have made. Some of them really sort of surprised me, and I, it, and when I looked at the pictures and I saw it, how they how they were seeing it, it was it was really helpful. Um, but I'd often, you know, I, I had thought myself a pretty good editor, so I realized that you know sometimes either because I'm too close to the work, um, I can lose sight of of some things that end up being important in terms of you know the project. So I'm wondering about. Her influence and also possibly, you know, other people who you, you know, you go to to get their feedback. Uh, You know, Elena influences uh, not only my photo work, but my entire life. Like, I I totally value her opinion on on everything. So why wouldn't I value it on on the images that I'm trying to create? Um, And she has to live with these photographs, too. (laughs) They're in our living room. They're still out there hanging on strings throughout the whole living room. So she has to see them all the time. And in between her uh, work and everything else, I'll say, so, hey, what do you think about this? And I'll usually get her in there for a few hours to start looking at these things. And, um, you know, she's she's a lot quieter than I am, which means that when she says something, I should listen because she's just not working things out verbally. She she thinks about them first and then says them out loud. And um, so a lot of times I'll have my, my preliminary edit, my second edit, my third edit. And then I start to show her around that stage when I've kind of whittled out a lot of the photographs that I know I don't feel comfortable showing. And I'm at a point where I I think this is pretty close to the final. She'll come in and look at it, ask me a few questions about this and that, and then sometimes just point out a photograph and say, this one here is not strong enough. It doesn't have the right layers. It doesn't feel like the rest of them. And I I usually uh, argue it for a long time and tell her my points and then I just be quiet and listen for a while and then usually within a day or two it doesn't make the final edit <laughs> mm-hmm. so um, but you know I'm, I'm working mostly with just Elena and myself every you know most of my peers are in different parts of the country or um, and because I'm teaching I'm around a lot of students so I have to rely on Elena's output I mean uh, Elena's input uh, a whole lot and uh, uh, usually she, she she gets me past that final that second to final stage. When I'm almost done, she gets me to done. Give me a situation where you feel like what you have is working, but it's it requires you to really push yourself a little harder. 
you know, to, to go past that, that comfort zone in order to produce the images that are needed for it. Cause uh, I think that when you're working on a, a long-term project, there comes a, there comes a point where you feel, I think it happens to me. It comes to a point where I go, I need to push this harder. So when you get to that point, how are you able to jump over the hump and produce the work to get it to that next level? Um, I'm trying to do that every single day. And I think it helps if you, it's more difficult when you have film because of the processing time, but it helps if you can process at the end of the week, look at your contact sheets and see how you're working your frame, see how you're approaching people. And I find that I sometimes get into this like visual habit where I'm, I'm making the same composition over and over and over. And if I don't stop to look at the contact sheets, I'll do that for the entire year mm. until my brain has kind of figured it out. Lately, this has happened to me because I'm, I work a lot on the street. And on the street, it's hard to get right in people's faces. But after processing a big batch of film and looking at the contact sheets, I noticed that uh, I'm missing some frontal faces, like where people are coming right at me. So then every day after that, I'm, I'm focusing on that. With, you know, I'm, I'm in that crowd, and I'm waiting for people to walk at me, or I'm trying to get in people's faces. But it comes from really looking at your work critically and regularly. And I think even people who shoot a lot of digital work, they don't look at it. They, they shoot it, process it, and post it. And then it's on this online thing. Uh, and they'll do the same thing next week. And so if you look at a lot of people's Flickr accounts and, and just the online presence that they have, they have the same photograph 15 times. Um, and it's because they haven't sat to live with the photograph. You know, just really just sit there and say, I have this photograph. What else can I do? Mm. So I think looking at your work and really thinking about it, circling and recircling contact sheets, and then going out every day to try to improve it, I think really helps. Well, you talk about having those prints in in your living room. Um, part of that is is required just because you're you know you're working with film and you have to make these these prints. But I, I think it's an option that's available even to those those people who are shooting digitally. Why do you think it's important to have those physical prints to look at? you know, on a, on a wall or somewhere in terms of being able to make informed decisions in terms of what's working with the body of work or what's not? Um, I work with uh, students now who all shoot digital, and that was a big challenge too, just getting them to the idea that they should make contact sheets. And and they the way they see it is like, you know, it's a waste of paper, it's a waste of film, I mean, a waste of ink, it's a waste of time. But I, I really truly feel that that's where you learn what you're doing. Um, having two four by five prints next to each other lets you stand them next, like you know, hold them next to each other. Bring another one into that stack and and compare four or five or ten different little four by sixes at the same time. Um, digital work, you bury it, and in order to get it again, I have to go dig through four, four or five different folders or, or just you know look for it somewhere. Having this work on the wall, I mean, I can just physically move it from one part to the next part. I can see if I want to keep looking at it over and over. You know, I turn on my screen, I look at the photograph, it looks great. And then I go to the next photograph, I don't have to keep looking at it. I have the print on my wall, I look at it, and I can stay looking at it. And every time I walk by, I have to look at it. And after a while, I'm thinking, well, this photograph just doesn't do it for me. Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm living with the photograph. Um, I've seen uh, people shooting improve um, really quickly in my classes when they start to bring in the 4x5s. When you put down five 4x5s of the same situation, you can look for gestures. You can look for, you know, 
a blinking of the eye. You can look for all these little tiny nuances that you don't always see on your computer screen because of you know the quickness of looking at photographs or because of the ease of you know burying them in a folder somewhere. I tell my students to to make four by fives and carry them around on the bus stop and just start you know shuffling them around all day long mm-hmm. um, and just thinking and looking at them all day. You made a you've made a a book for this pomp and circumstances, and you've also made collection of other people's photographs in these magazines that they're available on the Black Boots website. What what do you attribute the importance of having those images collected in one sort of uh, in, in a in a physical form, be it a book or a magazine? Why do you think that's important as opposed to you know just having say the individual prints like you just mentioned um oh you know when you can put it together it's just it's just a nice feeling to complete something um i've been using i I made these pomp and circumstance books in a trade back edition because i like to walk around with books in my bag so this becomes one of my other books in my bag but in this case for example i'm out in the street and i'm making photographs of these people and just the other day i was making photographs and this huge man walked in front of me and started yelling at me because he thought i made his photograph uh I say, hey, I'm I'm not a cop. I'm not I'm not here to bust you. I'm here. I'm a photographer. I'm an artist. And he says, yeah, right. And I pull out the book and I can hand it to him. Mm-hmm. He looks at it, okay, gives it back to me and keeps walking. Having something tangible like that for me is is awesome. I mean, I can I can show it to people who would never look at photo books. I'm walking down the street. I carry it with me. I I see people's grandmothers. I'm talking to my friend's mom, and I'm like, yeah, here, check this out. And it's mm-hmm. her life in this book, but she would have never looked at it. Um, so that's that's really great. Just to have that you know tangible carry around item that you can hand to people is awesome. But also, uh, you know, ideas are awesome. Like you can have all the ideas in the world you want, but until it's it's actually made made real, it's not real. It's yeah. just an idea. So if I have one, for me, it almost feels like the stuff on my website feels like ideas. These are bodies of work that I have an idea go go well together. But once they're on paper, once they're printed in in a book, uh, it's a finished product, and that feels great. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we've both done is we we, we emphasize a lot about editing in the workshops that we do, mm-hmm. and that's something that's not really taught. A lot is taught, you know, in workshops and classes about making pictures, but not editing them. By editing, I'm not talking about photoshopping. I'm talking about putting together a collection of images and and having them work and relate to each other well. So, if people don't have the benefit of a of a workshop, what kind of resources do you think are out there that really kind of help people to to learn how to edit, or do they just have to sort of dive into it and try to figure it out on their own? I think editing and sequencing is um, trying to figure out what you want to say to the world. I think that's helped me a little bit just uh, wrap my mind around not only the visuals but actual stories that I'm trying to tell you know nowadays you can go on Facebook and uh, I mean on on the internet and, and find people who are showing tutorials on editing and sequencing and but I think that looking at a lot of photo books start looking for similarities count the number of pages that the photographs that they have in the book uh, think about how many portraits they have in the book find people that you think are are telling the stories you want to listen to and see how they're telling them. And then, you know, when I go out and shoot, I always think about it like the world is telling me all this stuff. Everything out there, the world is telling me. What I photograph is what I think is interesting about the world. And when I edit and sequence, 
is what I want to tell the world. So thinking about that message at the end, what do I want to say, you know, can maybe help you just get to that point where you're just pulling that, pulling only the selects, pulling over only the stories, uh, only the photographs that you think are important enough to show somebody else. But to learn it, there's no, you know, you can look at all the Magnum books, um, spend lots of time looking at all those books, and then look online. And I'm sure there's, I know Ibarionex has some tutorials. Uh, <laughs> I saw Chase Jarvis had some stuff. So more and more people are talking about it now. But um, looking at photo books would be a great way to, to get better. And, and talking about workshops, I know that you're doing some workshops under the Black Boots banner. Why don't you tell us a little about those? Um, we're getting ready for the 2013 year. We're going to use San Francisco as our home base. Um, I've noticed that there's a lot of people who are interested in street photography. And I think what you said you know, is right. So many people talk about making photographs. And I think that everybody can make a photograph now with the camera. I mean, the cameras that we have now, everybody can make photographs. Our workshops are mostly about approach, how to talk to people, um, how to interact with people, how to watch people. And then the second day is a lot about editing and sequencing and only presenting your strongest, best, most narrative work. So San Francisco will be our, work, our workshop base. And I'm working on some locations, uh, some different dates for other places, but I'm not exactly um, confirmed on all of them yet. But we're trying to get out to, to Arizona, to Vegas, to Los Angeles, uh, in addition to San Francisco. Oh, very cool. Well, you know what my last question is, and, and that's when I ask uh, each guest to recommend or suggest another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. So who would that one photographer be and why? Um, you know, I just showed her work recently, and I show her work all the time in my classes, uh, Donna Ferrado. Donna Ferrado is amazing. Uh, she is, um, you know, she's a warrior in this documentary world. She's photographing domestic violence, but at the same time photographing love and lust and beauty. I think she's powerful, and through her work, a lot of people have been helped. Uh, and because of her work, uh, people continue to be helped. I and mean, she made work in the 80s that's still being used to, to raise awareness. And uh, I think she's, she's amazing. Mm. So where can people find out more about you and uh, everything that you're doing? Uh, you can look at my website. It's embafoto.com. Or look at Black Boots Inc. That's Inc. with a K. Dot com. Well, maybe I'll thank you so much for appearing on the show again. It's always, it's always enjoyable to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Next. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. <laughs>